0: Hello everyone and welcome to Christ in the Classroom uh, presented by Sophia Institute for Teachers. I'm your host Jose Gonzalez. Today I'm excited to welcome uh, Professor Douglas Bushman from the Augustine Institute. He will be introducing himself and chiming in a little little bit later, very shortly. Uh, and today our topic is Love Wins, Christ and the True Meaning of Love is the title today. I thought this was a very appropriate uh, topic as we uh, enter into uh, what's Valentine's Day this weekend. Uh, so I've always, this, this holiday I've always found um, very interesting because we call it St. Valentine's Day. And I don't know that most people really pay real homage to who St. Valentine actually was and what he actually, um, you know, suffered and did. Uh, I, I, I remember, uh, as, as a, as a young adult and a high school student kind of hating this holiday. Cause I just never, I, I you know, I never, uh, I, I used to joke and call it with my students before I met my wife, I used to call it singles awareness day. Uh, and I just thought it was a very, uh, uh, you know, very hallmarky holiday. I wasn't a big fan on the other. I had a, I had a good friend in in my young adult days who absolutely loved this holiday and she just always wanted to make it a big deal. And so we actually had a, a, had a tradition in our, in our, in our young adult group um, back in the day where all the men would uh, cook a nice meal and all the single Ladies would just would would come over and we treat them to a nice meal and there that was it it was it was nothing incredibly romantic uh, and then I met my wife and um, all of a sudden I was like oh I should make this a big deal um, and I've quickly learned over the years that um, if you uh, simply tell your wife you love her on a regular basis and make an effort to show that love consistently uh, then holidays like this one that are very um, more like Hallmark uh, created mean less and less. Uh, the other thing that I really, uh, find, uh, that I think is important as Catholic school teachers and as educators is when we look at this day and what it celebrates, right? How can we reframe our understanding of Valentine's day? I actually have a, a very good friend and college professor who, uh, I remember her bringing this up with with, with a group of teachers we were working with one time and I was blown away and I thought this is brilliant. How do we celebrate Valentine's Day in our schools? Now, I'm not, you know, well, you wanna do the Valentine's cards and the Valentine's parties, that's fine. But do we decorate with like Cupid and hearts? I mean, Cupid is technically a pagan God, right? Are we making homage to a pagan God? what if our whole um, we took the opportunity in, in a liturgical mindset especially since the Sacred Heart of Jesus is a feast that does that happens in June most of the time that we never get a chance to celebrate in schools but making that the focal point on Valentine's Day that the, that the heart of Jesus that, uh, dot, that that bleeds for our sins and that that exudes love for us, uh, have that be the focal point of Valentine's day, because is that not what love the day of where we, co- where we commemorate love, have the focus be on the authentic love of Jesus Christ. So to kind of reframe that mindset uh, and, and if you want to do the hearts and the cards and the, and the, you know, when, when I was a student council uh, rep, and what we did with our student council is often they would, the kids could buy carnations and send them to, to friends on Valentine's day. It was just, it was a fundraiser. You want to do stuff like that. Great. But let's put it in the right context. Let's put it in the right cult in in, in the right mentality of, if we're going to celebrate love, let's celebrate what Christ tells us love is, and not what the culture tells us love is. So To dig a little bit deeper on what this all means. um, I've invited um, for us uh, to join me this evening is Professor Douglas Bushman and uh, Douglas. um, Very grateful to have you with us. Uh, Douglas is actually the, uh, the very first um, scholar that worked with us at Sophia Institute. Uh, I had the pleasure he was the first one I ever got to present alongside with back in 2014 in, in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. And so it's a real treat to uh, continue to work with him and, and have this relationship we've had sit for almost almost seven years, um, cra- crazy to think. So uh, Douglas, I'll let you kind of just tell tell everybody a little bit about yourself and um, and, and welcome you to join us here.
1: So oh, I liked your opening. Uh, it's always a challenge um, in our culture where we're so uh, swamped by uh, commercialism and everything else to pierce through it and remind ourselves of what the real meaning of, of our faith is, and in this case, love. Um, as a little bio there says, I uh, teach at the Augustine Institute and uh, I've been on a research grant for the last uh, seven years working on uh, John Paul II, Vatican II, the new evangelization. And um, we have about 550 students worldwide in the Augustan Institute. So we do, during the COVID, we've been doing an awful lot of this kind of uh, teaching, but we also have a studio classroom uh, where all of our classes are recorded. So uh, it's good to see everybody or, or to interact with everybody. i kind of curious, how many, how many folks do we have live with us
0: this evening? We have, we have about 40 live right now, So which is, which is great. Um, and speaking of those that are live, um, if you do have any questions at any point that you we can try and answer uh, about the content, you can in in the chat box message Heidi Peters. She is uh, she's my colleague here running behind the scenes. Uh, if if you have questions, send them to her, and then at the end, if there's time, she'll field some of those questions to Professor Bushman and myself. All right. Well. Um, so I have a my first question for you, um, Douglas, is what does the church tell us? How does the church um, kind of tell us about love? What, what, what do they say love is? Well,
1: that's a great question. Um, and, uh, you know, we it, it's such a rich um, and all embracing reality because God himself is love and we're made in his image uh, that there's really so many different ways to talk about love. Um, And I've reproduced for you here that you're looking at a number of uh, my favorites. And um, uh, so love. uh, uh, these are just assertions that John Paul II makes. But, you know, I thought it might serve uh, our teachers who are participating in in this session. Uh, Any one of these at any given moment can uh, capture the imagination and are very memorable. Love is the DNA of the children of God. Um, God is love. Uh, parents pass on their uh, DNA to their children. So our Heavenly Father has passed on his DNA to us by creating us in his image and likeness. Um, and uh, man cannot live without love. Um, that is, uh, I think, very obvious. Those who have read uh, you know, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning and are familiar with any number of currents of psychology, It's so fascinating to me that the science of psychology seems to confirm this over and over and over again, uh, that without love, uh, uh, we get damaged and um, act out. And um, when I used to coach seventh and eighth grade football for about 10 years, uh, I could tell just almost by watching the way a 13 or 14 year old boy walked across the field whether he had a father or a big brother at home or not. I mean, that's how obvious it becomes. Um, and so for us, life is love. Uh, to live is love, uh, is to love and to love is to live. So um, basically, if you look at our, our story, salvation history, it's a story about love. Here's, here's our story in 30 seconds. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve and um, they were so convinced that God was love that they were comfortable in their nakedness and they had no problem obeying God's commandment. The serpent uh, argued that uh, got, maybe God didn't give them commandment out of love. Maybe he gave it to them out of, uh, out of jealousy. And so they disobeyed. In other words, they rejected his love. And then the whole rest of the Bible is the story about what God has done to reconvince all of his people that he really is love. And of course, this culminates in the Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. Uh, so so one of my personal
0: favorites here, Douglas, that I love is the meaning of life is found in giving and receiving love. Uh, I love that because I, I really see that particularly where I see that, that um, particular um, assertion Really come to life is in the life of my children. Uh, I, I have this uh, this routine in the morning sometimes where I'm sitting down eating breakfast and I'll go around the breakfast table and I'll look at them each uh, and uh, and as I will say their names and say um, say you're beautiful and I love you and I just I just say that that's just a mantra I have and uh, the other day my three year old looked back at me and he goes, Daddy. I love you too. You're the daddy of my dreams. And I thought to myself, well, uh, that's, that's, that's a pretty profound little state. That's a very kind statement from a three-year-old. I don't know where he gets it, but there is such life in them when when you see when when you give them love they give it back and there is really just this profound meaning uh in in those moments and so uh i I really that that one that
1: assertion really resonates with me Uh. so um here's a great text from john paul ii which basically is an elaborate version of my quick story of salvation history Um, And you know what? I might have to ask uh, Jose to help me out with the reading of it. Yeah. So uh, the church's faith reaches its peak
0: in this supreme truth. God is love. The truth that God is love constitutes, as it were, the apex of all that has been revealed by the prophets and in these last days by the sun. This truth illumines the whole content
1: of divine revelation. Thank you. So it's an apex. It's the summit of what God has revealed um, in Jesus Christ, uh, who so loved God, so loved the world that he sent his only son. And Jesus showed that he loved us to the end uh, by enduring his suffering and death on the cross. Uh, But notice that it also says that uh, this is the light in which that we need to look at everything that we believe. And I think that's a very, very important point. And notice how John Paul beautifully puts the words love and truth together here in this text. The truth that God is love, probably everyone's familiar with, um, if you don't know the chapter and the verse, uh, John 8.32, the truth sets you free. The truth that God is love sets us free from the fear that maybe he's not. The truth that God is love sets us free as Catholics to go to the sacrament of reconciliation and confession. The, the truth that God is love sets us free from the way that Adam and Eve behaved, trying to cover themselves and then trying to hide from God. Uh, we know that God loves us so much that he's like the father of the prodigal son. He rejoices when we return to him. And, and so I, we live in a culture... Uh, even within the church, it's not always easy to get love and truth in their proper harmony. Uh, I think there are many Catholics who uh, all they talk about is truth, um, and they do their own cause damage by not bringing in love. On the other hand, there's a lot of Catholics that all they can talk about is love, and they do their own emphasis on love. Uh, they, they undermine themselves by not uh pointing out that there's really no love worthy of the name uh, that uh, is not based on the truth. So um, when I go to a doctor, uh, I look for that little sign that says, you know, graduated from the University of Colorado Medical School. I want someone who knows a lot of truth about how my body works so that he can love me and set me free from any illness that I might have. So truth and love always go together. That's great. And I
0: think uh, that that's a that's a fantastic point. And I think it ties in nicely to um another question i have about about how do we you know the emphasis of love in our catechesis sometimes it feels as if um there are tough subjects and tough tough things to address that might not feel real real loving to to quote unquote the world so how do we you know how do you place love and the truth in in its proper context
1: in catechesis yeah, so I, I think there's nothing like experience um, that where where people see that even when the truth is difficult and challenging at first, over the long run, it turns out to be the real foundation of love. Um, you know, I uh, you mentioned uh, your son and and saying I love you to your children. Uh, I've raised six children. Uh, our baby is a 24 year old research scientist at the University of Minnesota. And, um, and one of the things that I learned was that if if you have a real bond with your children, uh, the most devastating thing that they will experience is to see how if they if they use their freedom improperly, if they make a bad choice, how it hurts their parents. I don't think parents have any idea. There's a whole philosophy of discipline here. But this is the message of the cross. Uh, God, arms stretched on the cross, is basically saying, look at what your sins have done to me. They have have torn me apart. Um, uh, I'll never forget this because I was doing a retreat and uh, talking about the prodigal son. And I said, it's as if God says to us, I don't want to live without you. I can't live without you. Uh, My life is not complete without you in it. Now, of course, we believe that God is, you know, infinite and perfect, and that in a strict sense, he doesn't need us. But the Bible uses so many interesting metaphors and images to convey God's love for us. Um, And isn't it a fact that especially during Lent, Stations of the Cross, other times, uh, that's what really gets to us when we stop and ponder, Uh, what our sins have done to God, and that he endured it all, he must really love us. Um, And so I I think there's a whole psychology, uh, and as I said, a kind of philosophy of love and um, and parental relationships here. So this is why my kind of prime catechetical rule I take from Twister, uh, when I'm, whether I'm lecturing at the graduate level, or I'm working with uh, first and second graders, helping them get ready for first confession and first Holy Communion, uh, my rule is one foot at all times on the circle that says the love of God fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And, and so I can talk about one, or, one of the seven sacraments, or I can talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, I can talk about any, any doctrine of the church um, or any discipline of the church, but my goal is always to bring it back to this fundamental truth that God is love, that he created us out of love, that he didn't give up on us uh, when we rejected his love in Adam and Eve, um, and that he eventually gave his life for us out of love. So um, that was the best twister image I could find on the internet. Uh, But it's, it's a high standard. Now, that doesn't mean you have to use the word love every single minute. And by the way, I hope by the end of our time together, you'll see that you can be talking about love a lot without using the word. Uh, The the, the major word that that we'll talk about is gift, but there are others. And so uh, if you just go back uh, quickly, uh, this is what I want my children, this, this was one of my catechetical goals for my children, for them to be able to say in a very personal way, I live by faith in the Son of God Who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a very, it's like a very personal profession of faith or a personal creed. Uh, And then uh, there's this text from John Paul too, but you can see he must, that must be how he feels and how he relates to our Lord, uh, because this is what he wants for others. Um, And all he wants is for every human being to know to live in the peace and the serenity and the confidence that God loves you. Beautiful. Uh, So I'd like to now
0: kind of shift and start to get more um, specific of of, of defining love. So, you know, what is love? So I'm going to interject here and jump in and talk about, um, uh, before I, I hand it back to Douglas with some, with some, some questions. um, uh, You'll see in in the lesson for this week uh, that we we are highlighting and and giving you for free, it focuses a little bit on the four loves. Um, The four loves, I don't know how familiar you are with them, but it's the Greek words for love. Essentially, I think uh, one of the failings of our English language is that we have one word for love because I can say things like, I love pizza and I love my mom and I sure as heck hope I love my mom very differently than I love pizza, right? So uh, that word can fall short in the English language. So I think it's good to, um, if we take the the, the understanding of this word, this is a place to start in helping us define love and, and for our children to see what love is about. The first form of love is storge or affection. So this is affectionate love, right? The might be the kind of love I have for pizza, right? Or or the kind of love I have for the new tennis shoes I just got, right? So 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 or or for my dog even, right? Um, so so diff- deals with affection. Then we have philia, which is brotherly love. Um, Philadelphia right? We named it the city of brotherly love because that's the root of it. So, so a brotherly love. Uh, th- this is going to be more the, the, the sort of love I have for a dear friend, you know, um, or, or, or for my neighbor in, in, that, I, that I may not know um, deeply. Um, Eros, erotic love, right? And, and a lot of people think that this is all negative, right? Eros, erotic love can be negative in its incorrect context, right? But er- erotic love paired with ultimately and what the theology of the body often focuses on is understanding the, the perfect union of eros and agape, right? Erotic love with sacrificial, unconditional love within marriage. Right. And that's where the, those two loves kind of line up, but agape is sacrificial, unconditional love. And this is the sort of love that we're focusing on really um, tonight in helping define to a certain extent, because that's, um, that is the sort of love that Christ has for us, right? And so it's good to kind of lay to lay a foundation for our students in understanding these different forms of love, but then to take it deeper. And so I, I, I'm asking Douglas here. My next question for you is: How have some of the great minds of the church defined love? How how has how do the gospels? How do you know? Because a lot of this comes from these great minds' interpretation and reading of the gospels. How do the gospels how does Jesus reveal the, his definition of love? So
1: great. well let's uh, go on to the very first one <clears throat> and uh, it's I have it first because it's the most basic one. Uh, to love is to will or to desire the true good for someone. Uh, this is very often associated with Saint Thomas Aquinas. <clears throat> And notice I've put the word true there um, uh, in order to uh, continue my thought about what I said earlier about how the challenge of keeping the true and love together in our understanding. So so the first point is to understand what is the true good? It's that which brings fulfillment or happiness. And to go back to what Jose just said uh, about that, that first desirous love or affection, Um, After, uh, I used to live in Texas, uh, and I mowed the lawn more than once when it was about 106 or 108 out. Uh, And so uh, everyone would understand that a a really large glass of cold lemonade is a true good after you have mowed the lawn. Um, But it's a bodily good. It's a physical good. And so it's truly good, and we need to be hydrated, but it's not the highest good. There's a hierarchy of goods, um, and so the, the physical goods are the lowest, and, but there's a genuine love that revolves around them, that Jose called affection. Uh, the true good is defined in relationship to a given nature. Here I'm going to talk about human nature. So uh, I have, well, you can see some of my books behind me. My most prized books are the ones over uh, my left sh- shoulder. That is my St. Thomas Aquinas uh, bookcase. And, um, and here's, here's what I've noticed in raising six kids and having some pets. Uh, everybody thinks that Thomas Aquinas books are a good. For me or for the dog, it's to chew on when he's teething. For a three-year-old, it's to draw on uh, indiscriminately, just with a crayon, you know. And then for me, it's to read (laughs) and to understand. Notice it's the same reality. And yet, depending on where you are in life and what your nature is, you relate to it quite differently. And so we distinguish between the basic goods, this hierarchy of goods. There are physical, intellectual, and spiritual goods. And um, and martyrs show us uh, what that hierarchy is when they prefer to die rather than to betray the God who loves them. Um, so uh, so basically, when when Jesus puts three types of love together in one commandment that we should love the Lord our God, or with, in two commandments, we should love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's the highest good. Uh, and we should love our neighbor as ourself. So there's three fundamental loves, love of God, love of self, and love of neighbor. And very importantly, the, the sign that you love is, um, is that you experience both joy and sorrow. So uh, I grew up um, and uh, back in the days of two very well-known philosophers uh, perhaps you've heard of them, Simon and Garfunkel. And, uh, and they had it all figured out. One way to make sure that you don't ever know any sorrow is to be a rock or an island. Don't love because it's risky. But the problem is uh, that if you don't love, you'll never know what joy is either. So joy is what we experience when the good that we want for someone, either God or ourselves or someone else, is present. Uh, so, uh, since we're talking to teachers here, there's a lot of joy when uh, a student uh, surpasses your expectations and gets an A on a on an exam or a paper. Right? Um, you you actually succeeded in imparting that knowledge. Um, and then there can be times of real desolation as a teacher where you're you're grading and and you say, "Was I off that day? Didn't anyone understand the word that I said?" Um, But if you stop and think about one of the things I love to do for the people I do spiritual direction for is once a year, I have them uh, write down the five last times they were really full of joy and the last five times they were really full of sorrow. uh, And well, that'll tell you where your loves are. So I live in Denver. Um, The last time I noticed there was any really great joy in Denver was when the Broncos won the Super Bowl. That would be one of those lower loves, one of those lower goods. And that means we've been a depressed city ever since. All right. But you can, you can tell what a person's definition of love is uh, by their sorrow and their joy. And that's very, very helpful to know. So the second definition we attribute to St. Augustine, <clears throat> to love is to share the good with someone. And this is one of my favorite uh, three lines from all that I've read. Uh, for a possession which is not diminished by being shared with others, if it is possessed and not shared, is not really possessed as it ought to be possessed. Um, and so uh, this, this is the foundation of uh, evangelization. Jesus, is, and this is why parents have their children baptized, Jesus and his love for us is the greatest of all goods. Life isn't worth living without it. And so we have our children baptized. We want to share that joy that we have in being loved by God in Christ. And so this is a love that emanates from fullness. That's agape love. This is the the love that God exercised when he created us. He didn't create us because he needs us, because he was lonely. It was out of pure fullness and wanting other people to enjoy his own happiness. And this contrasts with what... uh, Jose had mentioned earlier, Eros uh, is a needy love. And I'm, I'm glad that he said it, and I'm going to repeat it. This isn't an evil love. Children are needy, <clears throat> and, uh, and they have a right to have parents who have a fullness. If, I, I think if, if, if parents have children because they think the children are going to fill some void in their life, be careful what you ask for, right? Mm-hmm. because they will fill a void, but not the way that you expect it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you hope that they will have a fullness so that when they become young adults, you have a true friendship with them. But they come into the world as pure neediness. And uh, and it takes a lot of maturity. It takes a real fullness to be servants as parents and to meet all the needs of your children. And so in our Catholic tradition, theologians call this benevolent or disinterested love. The disinterested means I'm not in it for what's, there's nothing in it for me. Uh, It's all about the person who I love, I want what's good for that person. And of course, this is the meaning of the cross. Uh, you you can't twist Jesus's death on the cross and somehow make it out to be, oh, he was it, he, it was all about him. No, it's all about us. In fact, you know, as we go through Lent, just just think about his seven last words. They're not about him. They're about us. They're about the women uh, on the road to Jerusalem. It's Mary and John at 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 the foot of the cross. It's those that he asks the Father to forgive for they know not what they're doing. How can a man who's in such agony be so other-oriented? That's worth reflecting on this Lent. So uh, what's striking me as you're going through some of these is
0: these definitions of love I think can share as a great examination of conscience for us as far as going, oh, in, in your previous definition, Ooh, that really brought, that didn't bring me much joy. Uh, Maybe that, you know, or or that really brought me down. How, how much more do I need to be relying on God and loving the right thing? Maybe I love, you know, like you said, football too much. If I'm this depressed that my team won Um, or, or this, like sharing the fullness, right? Thinking about, man, I, I lost my patience with my kids a little too easily yesterday My job is to share that fullness and I failed at that. So uh, I I think this is really, this is providing really beautiful uh, reflections to examine where are we, how are we loving, right? Which is ultimately what what an examination of conscience
1: is about, right? Mm -hmm. Very good. Yes. All right. The third definition, mercy is love. And then I can't read this. Is it that restores lost goodness? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so mercy, uh, John Paul II says that mercy is love's second name. So, mercy is a form of love, but it's the special name we give to love when the person you're loving is suffering and you are a, you're attempting to alleviate that suffering. So, what is suffering? Suffering happens when you're deprived of some important good. So, again, there's a hierarchy of good, so there's a hierarchy of suffering. Um, and, uh, and so we have corporal works of mercy uh, that we all know about when we try to feed people who are hungry, shelter them, uh, and, and clothe them, etc. And then there's spiritual works of mercy when people are lacking in the truth um, or lacking some other spiritual good. So I like to think of love as mercy, as love that keeps loving when it has been rejected This is, isn't this exactly how God responds to our sin? He doesn't stop loving us, a covenant after covenant. And then I tacked on this great line from John Paul too, until the gift has been received. And so since I'm talking to teachers and and I've taught my whole life, uh, this is how uh, uh, it's going to happen every semester. Some student is going to say, Professor Bushman, have mercy on me. You know, uh, you know, I didn't do well on my paper. Give me a higher grade. And I say, well, okay. let me give you a short course on what mercy is. Um, I want you to know this material. I think it's important for you. Someday you're going to be a a DRE or a youth minister. Uh, And so I will let you rewrite the paper because I want this gift that I have in mind, making your mind conform to the mind of the church. That's important to me. And so I'll, I'll work with you on this and I'll reread your paper and help you outline it and everything else. And, and so this is, uh, teachers don't give up on their students. Um, parents don't give up on their children. God does not give up on sinners. And this is exactly what mercy is. So um, uh, the prodigal son is the great biblical example of this. The father never stopped loving the son. Uh, the son shut his father's love out, but when he returned, he discovered that he never could shut it off. When we sin, we shut we shut God's love out, but no one has the power to shut it off, and that's the whole meaning of Jesus dying on the cross. Fourth definition uh, is, is really easy. To, it, it's, who's ever heard of this before? Whoever thinks this way? To love is to say, it is good that you exist. Um, I first came across that in the writings of Joseph Ratzinger, uh, the theologian. Uh, Of course, he became Benedict XVI. And he attributes that to Joseph Pieper, a German uh, philosopher. And John Paul too also made this this his own. And so uh, this echoes the refrain of Genesis after each day of creation, God steps back and saw that it was good. Uh, it is good that you exist, he would say, so to speak, to the to the to the light and to the seas and to all the animals. And of course on the sixth day of creation with regard to Adam and Eve, he saw that it was very, very good. Um, this is today we call this the power of affirmation. and uh, I'm a real believer in that uh, and and so to, you know jose was talking about you know being in your family family situation and falling short uh, my ideal is always that uh, when my children come into my presence that it's, that i that i light up with emotional joy because little children that's what they pick up on and by lighting up and and having a kind of my voice gets a little louder a little higher a little more intense and say oh my goodness there's teresa and and she can figure it out. She said, well, wow, dad was just sitting there a minute ago and now he's all excited. I must be good. Uh, that's the power of affirmation. And again, there's a whole strain of contemporary um, uh, psychology, especially the attachment loss psychologists. Perhaps you've heard of Conrad Bars and before him, uh, Betelheim and Bowlby. Uh, so, uh, and Mark records, uh, when Jesus was dialoguing with the rich young man, Jesus, looking upon him, loved him. Uh, Mark picked up on something. Uh, we call it body language. Um, and so, you know, this is when I go to confession, I, th- I think of this. There's a priest uh, who has been ordained to represent Christ. And he's waiting for me, like the father of the prodigal son was waiting for his son. And, uh, and his voice and presence, it is good that you're here uh, and, uh, and we know what follows. So, um, I hope that, uh, I hope that crystallizes one aspect. Notice how love is always defined in terms of the good. When the good is present in someone else, the one who loves lights up with joy.
0: So I, I actually, I love this definition, especially, I think, as teachers and catechists, this is a group this one is a very practical way of what we can do with our students, right? So no matter the age, like you said, we should, we should work to light up as they walk into the room to sit down for class and, um, and, and to really to look them in the eye and greet them and to have joy at their presence, because if we can do that, how many of these kids come from homes or come from situations where they don't feel like it is good that they exist or that they don't they aren't acknowledged and so this is simple acknowledgement of of the presence of these children or students high schoolers whatever age we teach I think as teachers this is almost the easiest form of love that we can display for for them as they walk in you know
1: i um, Jose, there's a corollary, if I could quickly um, uh, get it across, and that is, is that, especially in family life, but also at the workplace and in the classroom, when you, when you see the same people day after day um, and, and, and something has happened that makes it difficult for you to come forward with that exaltation of it's good that you exist, uh, depending on the circumstances, it's very helpful to um, explain to people why I might not be as exuberant today as I was yesterday. Uh, over the years, uh, I've had upwards of 18 or 19 people at a time working for me. Uh, and, and this has lots of implications for the workplace. And I remember one time, uh, I was absolutely depleted physically, uh, but also emotionally because uh, my mother had died. And, uh, and I, I went before anybody knew it and I was back at work and I sat my staff down and I said, you know, you're bound to pick up on the fact that I am um, going to not have a lot of energy. Trust me, it's nothing that you did because people when there's a difference in behavior, people pick up on that. Um, And so trust me, it's just me, Uh, you know, I'm recovering from the flu, uh, you know, uh, it it could be any number of things, but body language speaks loudly. And so when the circumstances are correct, we can uh, help other people not draw the wrong conclusions by saying, it's not that you that explains this, it's just that, you know, I'm tired or whatever. That's a great point. Yeah, that's excellent. And then our last one, uh, this is associated with John Paul II, especially for people who are very keen, and rightfully so, on his theology of the body. To love is to make a gift of oneself. So, uh, to just recap, uh, the, the Eros love, when I say, when I, say I love you uh, to someone, what I'm probably saying is, well, my life is more complete with you in it. Okay, uh, But that's a kind of needy love. And a sign that it's not a true love yet is that when that person disappoints you, you get angry or or hurt. Um, To love is to make a gift of oneself and to receive the gift that the other makes of himself or herself. Uh, This is the the brotherly love, uh, the friendship that is most perfectly realized in marriage. So God himself, is, uh, is three persons, three divine persons living uh, in relationships of mutual self-giving and receiving the gift of others. Uh, in the ancient world for the Greeks, this is friendship, where the two have become one and a friend is another self. And they keep giving, making gifts of, of themselves to one another. Uh, and so as images of God, this is what we are made for. Um, this is to participate in God's own Trinitarian mutual self-giving, uh, but also to enjoy that among ourselves. Uh, and so, one of the one of the great signs that this is coming out of agape, that mature love of fullness, is that sometimes it's not easy to make a gift of yourself, and especially when the one that you love is suffering. Now we're back to, as I've each time I've come back to Christ on the cross he didn't stop making a gift of himself, even when we rejected that gift through sin. Um, And so uh, in marriage, in friendship, in collegiality, uh, I've got this great set of friendships at the Augustine Institute with the other faculty, that's a true friendship. And we make gifts of ourselves to one another by sharing what we read and our insights uh, and supporting one another in serving our students. Great,
0: um, yeah. Thank you, Douglas. I thought this was all very um, just just great insights for for helping us define love. So uh, I, I want to just how can we how can some of this translate into our classrooms as teachers? Uh, and and one of the things that I want to emphasize is. And, and I say this all the time. It, it comes down to witness because I think I, I I think I've said that almost every week on this on this uh, series because that's the the heart. We have to internalize that. So we have to be models of love. We have to love our students. We have to take these,, um, you know, just like I tell myself, um, with my, with my kids, I told myself with my students, I, I, am not perfect at it, but this is what I got to strive. Cause if I love them first, if I love them first, then everything else follows, right? Cause they're going to remember how much you loved them more, more than what you taught them. Right. Uh, with that comes in a, and I, and I love, uh, Douglas alluded to this a little bit, but in, in one of his examples, but discipline with love, with mercy, uh, and, um, and, and truth, right? So that doesn't mean that we are, um, that loving doesn't, as a teacher doesn't mean that we're pushovers, right? So have standards, don't be afraid to have even to be tough on them in, in academia and your standards for the classroom and how you, what you expect of their behavior, what you expect of virtue, but do it with love, do it with kindness, do it with, help them see that that's all coming from a place of love. Right. Um We got to teach them about the cross. right? We got to teach them that love is not, is not easy. I uh, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I grew up in a home where um my parents, God bless them are amazing. And they almost have like, it's very bizarre. They have this like weird, almost, the, at least what they portray to us. It's almost this romantic, almost movie love that you see. I've never, I never really saw my parents fight. I never saw my parents disagree. I, I, I never saw that. Um, and, and so I just assumed for a long time, oh, love is easy, right? If you love somebody, it just, it just feels good all the time. Well, I quickly learned through friendships and through other things, thankfully, especially before I got married, that that's not the case. And now, you know what I am seeing, and which is, which is beautiful. My father has Alzheimer's and I'm seeing the cross on my mother for the first time. I'm seeing her lose that connection. And, but I'm seeing her stick by him and she is coming to the realization that the cross is central to love and that the, that, that we have to, we have to teach our students about the cross and what Christ has done for them. And that love is, is a decision. Right. Um, And also emphasize the power of the sacraments, especially the Eucharist and confession, because that is where we encounter God's love poured out upon us. Right. So we have to um, emphasize that power and, and, and you seek that power as much as you can. And lead your students to that power as often as you can. Uh, and and so I, I really think um, when, it, when it comes to this whole idea of, of love, I mentioned at the beginning, make this time of like Valentine's Day and, and especially going into Lent is a great opportunity to reflect on love as defined by Christ, what the gospel reveals and not just you know what the culture tells us necessarily. Uh, before we, we we will probably have a couple minutes here for a few questions. Before we do that, um, uh, Douglas, I want to ask. This is uh, as I as I love doing this every week just to kind of, uh, it's always good to get ideas of things we can watch or read or listen to, um, and and as I've mentioned before. Everything in the culture that is true, good, or beautiful is Catholic, whether they intend, whether the artist intends it to be or not, right? So what are some things out there that are true, good, and beautiful um, that you might have read or, 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 or watched that you would recommend, um, whether teachers watch it for their own personal formation or that they share those you know, with their class? Any ideas?
1: Well, there, there's always a movie that comes to my mind, uh, and it's Chariots of Fire. And I don't know if there's anyone out there uh, as old as I am who would remember when it first came out and and saw it or has seen it since. Uh, And I don't want to give the the storyline away. So, but um, especially I think um, for high school kids and those who are athletic, uh, but the principle applies outside of athletics as well. So basically, uh, theologically, what the movie is about is two different kinds of love and motivations. And uh, to basically to get involved in whatever you're doing. In this case, it's about sports, but it could be business uh, or anything else. Are you doing it out of love of self or are you doing it out of love of God and for his greater glory? And if you just keep keep that question in mind, I think it will uh, open up the deep meaning of the
0: movie for you. Beautiful, thank you uh, for that uh, suggestion. Heidi, do you have uh, any any questions that came through that you can share? We might have time, I think, for one or two.
1: Hi, Jose. I do have one question. It is, how do we teach about love in a society that often reduces it to sexuality?
0: So that's a great question, uh, Douglas. Do you have Do you have thoughts? And I might have a few. Have a few few things to, to jump in on?
1: Yeah, okay, I'll say a couple of things. Uh, first of all, um, obviously, uh, love has a lot to do with sexuality. So if we're going to address that question, we want to be very careful and make sure that we don't overreact and you know, leave the impression that um, sexuality marriage is um, is in, in some way uh, intrinsically evil. Um, the Uh, But I, so I always like to do, I always like to say, I agree with you. I see the same thing that you see. Uh, It's a huge problem. Uh, And I would say that the great sign that uh, it's uh, people are off track by reducing love to just sexuality, I would say, okay, maybe, maybe everyone would agree, this is the most sexualized that a human culture has been, if not ever, in a long time. Okay, And how are we doing? Uh, How is the mental health of our culture? Uh, What's the suicide rate among uh, our young people, young adults and and teenagers, and even younger than that? How long are marriages lasting? Uh, Those those are, let's call them cultural indicators, that, that confirm for me that people have defined love inaccurately. Um, uh, it's for me personally, uh, what I often say to people who have become addicted to sex in one way or another, I say, well, look, uh, at least you were looking in the next best place. You're looking to another human being, an image of God to fill this needy, erotic love in you, but no human being can do that for you. Only God himself. And guess what? Even he became a man. Um, and so, uh, so I think that uh, all, the, all the recovery groups and, and, and so many other things that are helping people uh, to get beyond this uh, emphasis on Eros, and especially with regard to a sexual expression of it, are indicators that people have been off the track, uh, it's only getting worse, and hopefully God will have mercy on our culture and give lots of graces of conversion to, remember I talked about a hierarchy of love, discover god himself who will never let us down who's eternal and unchanging in his love for us and he is our true happiness yeah
0: and i i think to add to that a little bit i think a lot of that comes from that the mentality of love comes to we def too many people define it as a feeling and they, they 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 go on their emotions in the roller coaster and the reality is, is that love at the end of the day is a choice, right? Uh, there can be attraction, there can be emotions. I've had great emotions with my wife, right? But I also know that there are days where we both go, ah, you know what, you know, you're, you're making me crazy. Um, and so I have to make an active decision in that moment to, to love her, right? And she does the same with me um, you're not going to wake up every morning feeling butterflies for, for this person or, or in general too, like my, my, my feelings for X, Y, and Z might not be in order with God's plan. Right. So, um, so love is not just about emotion and feeling it's, it's about choices and, and decisions and, and, and conforming ourselves to the will of God. So. you know, Jose, I've got a
1: complimentary story to the one that you said about your mother and father, mm-hmm. uh, my wife was a, was a, a first-rate athlete uh, in high school, a state champion myler, and uh, I've always been very active in sports. And so part of our relationship uh, had always been, our, our dating relationship was you know, weightlifting, swimming, running, biking. We were very, very active. And, um, uh, and then as a result of the birth of our first child, she had a life-threatening thrombophlebitis and has been uh, disabled ever since. And so, you know, but our relationship, as much as we enjoyed, you know, that sporting together is not the same thing as sexuality, but it's very physical. Right. And it's a very big part of our of our culture's life. Sports, uh, our culture, uh, sports is a big part of it, too. That was taken away from us within a year of our marriage. Um, But we've discovered, of course, that we had a foundation that was much deeper than that. Uh, and so, um, I think that this is what happens. Uh, have, are we, do I miss working out with her and, and enjoying that physical exercise together? Yes. Uh, but there's something much deeper and more permanent.
0: I, yes, we can try and take one more question. I, she just mentioned, um, and I think that's about all we have time left for is one more. So shoot.
1: Awesome. So the question is, it is difficult at times when children come and hug you when they see you, but we as educators are told. That less physical touching is best to avoid any scandal. Sometimes a pat on the back or a high five goes a long way with bonding with our students. How can we be more responsive and not look like we are putting up a brick wall when students are seeking a more physical, but not touching or but not crossing the line affection from their teachers?
0: Wow. Um, so I have just a just a quick that that is I have to say that's very tough, and I um, having I. I taught high school kids, so I didn't quite have um, that level of affection. I know with young kids, um, you know, my children are very affectionate. And so I can't imagine uh, it's a challenging um, climate to be in, right? Where kids, where kids want that affection and from their teachers. Um, And um, I think it just depends on, on where you are. I think a lot of times from my experience, I could be wrong. If If a kid initiates the hug that, you're, you're you're okay within reason to, to do a side hug or whatever. But yes, um, I, I wish I had a clearer answer to that, but we we do have a, you know, we live in a difficult climate, unfortunately, but I think there's ways to be creative and acknowledge them um, and encourage them. Uh, Douglas, do you have thoughts on that particular question?
1: Hey, well, we live, in, as you say, we live in such a litigious society that you if you want to, be useful to your students, you don't dare risk at all by, you know, having expressions of affection that not too long ago, I mean, when I was in high school, the big thing was that boys and men should lighten up and give hugs and, you know, be very emotional. And, And then our culture just did a complete, you know, turnaround. And now we have to be so careful about this. But uh, did you watch the suit? Anybody watch the Super Bowl? I mean, men hug each other uh, when they win a Super Bowl. Uh, have you ever watched uh, college football? Uh, and the, the the coaches and the players, you know, embrace one another when they have a win. There's nothing more natural. I, I would hope that we some of us will live to see the day when our culture gets more realistic and uh, less reactionary and recognizes that because some people go over the line and exploit their relationships with younger people, the vast majority do not. But you know, it's the same thing with priests uh, and, and virtually every part of our culture, there's such an overreaction to the few that the basically human ways of expressing ourselves are now often forbidden.
0: Wish we had a, had a clear answer to that, but we, we sympathize with that, with that frustration and, and, and pray we can get, get through that. Uh, so next, next week uh, we will uh, be back again uh, on Tuesday live. Uh, the, we, there'll be a special guest host next week. My colleague, Mark Kaschak will be will be hosting next week. And the topic that he will focus on is the reality of spiritual warfare. So hope that you're able to join us next week. Uh, if you need a certificate for tonight or any other episode, visit sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC certificates and fill out the form and submit it. All certificates are uh, are distributed on the 1st and the 15th of every month. Uh if for free lesson on today's theme and on the themes from previous episodes, you can visit Sophia Institute for CITC lessons and download those there. Um, and you can also uh, please feel free to um, to listen uh, to subscribe and give us a review um, if you if you ever miss a live episode or uh, feel free to you can listen on podcast format We're found on YouTube and Vimeo uh, and, and right on our site. So please subscribe and give us a review. If you like what you're hearing and don't forget to visit our website for many other resources for teachers, Teachers sofiainstituteforteachers.org, lots of free resources available there. Uh, Thank you all for joining us uh, and uh, God bless. Uh, And we uh, hope to, we hope that you will join us again for another episode of Christ in the Classroom in the future. Take care.